Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. As we welcome you into another edition of our two nights, one podcast, and UCF fresh off of their first buy here of 2020, headed up to Bluff City, getting set to take on Memphis and the Tigers. As greeting Scott Adams, along with former UCF standout, nine-year NFL veteran, Leger Doosable and Doos, if there was a week in which UCF needed the bye to come, it, it was this past week. Coming off that hard-fought loss at home a couple weeks ago in the Bright House, or uh, in the Bounce House against Tulsa, UCF really beat up and really trying to hone in on, on what those issues have been with so many of those penalties. I mean, coming into this week, this is exactly what this team needed, Doos. Yeah, 100%, Scott. You said it best. This is a perfect week for a bye. We had all those injuries last week. Hopefully we get a lot of those guys coming back into this Memphis game because we're going to need them. And also, like you talked about, you get to self-scout yourself, right? You get to see what you did well, what you didn't do well. And all those penalties that we talked about, that is something that they can really hone on going into this bye week, getting ready for Memphis coming up this week. Coming up on today's episode of Two Nights, One Podcast, we'll really kind of dive into to maybe what some of those issues have been underlying for the Knights, despite the, the two victories to begin the season, maybe what some of that regression was in the Tulsa game, and also keep in mind, this Tulsa team is going to be pretty formidable in the AAC. We'll also take a look back at just what a wild series it has been between UCF and Memphis. This has been the class of the league the past three years and and I say I say that with a little bit of jest because by the way UCF has won 13 consecutive games over the Memphis Tigers we'll get some keys to this weekend's game up there in Memphis and we'll close things out as we always do with Leger's uh, a little do speak some wisdom from coaches uh, uh, from yesteryear that have Im- imparted some of that wisdom on dues. But, but Leger, let, let's get back to it. This week, what, what do you think the focus has been, not just for this coaching staff, but for some of these night players? Because that game against Tulsa, despite the penalties, despite the injuries, you're still in that football game. Yeah, definitely. I think it's two keys if you look at it, Scott. The first key, first and foremost, is getting everybody back healthy and ready to play, first and foremost, because without people being able to play, we can't play the game. We had a lot of injuries in in, in that game two weeks ago versus Tulsa. We lost our top three running backs, possibly our you know our top three run, uh, receivers with Nixon going out earlier in the year, and then Marling at the end of the game, and, and Jacob Harris was hobbled throughout the game and was able to gut it out and finish. So you're talking about six offensive weapons right there that we don't have on offense. And then you look at our tandem at safety, which might be the best tandem in the nation, 
Both of our safeties get hurt in that game. And then the third safety gets hurt in McMillan. So first and foremost is getting everybody back healthy. I know Mary Vanderheiden really well. She was there when I was at UCF. I know she's doing a great job with her staff, getting everybody up to par and seeing if guys can be able to go this week and just getting everybody healthy. Um, second of all, it's, it's the mental aspect of it, right, Scott? You talk about it, the, the pre-snap and post-snap penalties. That's something that is a, a mental error in your head, something that you can control before the snap and post-snap. That's the, something that I think we really should hone on or that we honed on this past week on the bye week because things like that will get you beat. We saw it in the Tulsa game, how many offsides we had, and then also the, the personal fouls. These are things that we can't have. We can't have the late hits on a quarterback you can't, you know, take somebody's helmet off and throw it. These are just mental errors that you cannot have if you want to be successful. If you want to continue to have the success UCF has had in the past, these are things that you just cannot do. So those are the two things I think that we really honed on in, in this bye week this past week. Well, on the injury front, at least to this point here, when we tape this and then going into Saturday, the good news is Richie Grant looks like he's a go. Uh, uh, Otis Anderson looks like he's a go. Both of those players have, have spoke to the media this past week, and it was good to see Richie because in that third quarter, that was a scary situation. Richie is down uh, there in, in the middle of the field. Wasn't a lot of movement until they flipped him over. All of his extremities uh, were, were moving it, and it appeared as if it was one of those bell ringing sorts of situations and Richie said even earlier this today yeah he was down he didn't understand maybe the gravity of the situation because he didn't realize just how long he was down on on that turf and it was only till after the fact that he was told by people saw the video and, and found out yeah this was kind of a, a, a scary moment but then in much Richie fashion the two-time uh, uh, all-conference player he's like I, I want to get back onto the field I want to get back on the field but of course measures that be and for his own safety he knew he knew that was the uh, the right call Yes, Scott, me and you had a, you know, up-close glance at it, right? We were back there towards the end zone when that happened on that hit, and, and it was scary. He was down for a while. Um, Richie's always been known as a physical player. We saw the Georgia Tech, Tech game where he came down and, and hit the, uh, the quarterback on, on his little keeper, and it was a great form tackle. And He's a guy that always likes to, you know, fit it up in there as a safety and show his physicality. So it was really scary. Just anytime you see your defensive leader on the ground, laying on the ground for as long as he was. They had to flip him over. And like you said, all his extremities were moving, so that was a blessing. And then, and like you said, in Richie fashion, he gets up and it was mad at everybody. Like, no, let me go. I want to get back in the game. But, you know, sometimes just as players, we need people to protect us from ourselves, right? Because we have that warrior mentality. But I'm glad it looks like he's going to be able to go because he's, he's undoubtedly the leader on that defense and has been for the last two or three years. 18 penalties for four or for 124 yards 13 alone there in that that second half the concentration that that is needed not just with your center and your quarterback but then everybody across the line and then even out on onto the perimeter especially if you're going to be running up the tempo the way you are everybody needs to be able to, to be on that same page. And sometimes we take it a bit for granted, having seen the success, the way this offense has operated over the course of the past three years. And so here going into this, this Memphis game, the onus was, was trying to make sure that these don't happen again. So, so that said, when it comes to, to Matt Lee, 
Uh, and, and, you know, Matt had a tough game. He'll be the first one to admit that that to you. But for a guy like him who big, big expectations for Matt, like he's stepping into some huge shoes. Jordan yeah. Johnson played over 40 games in his, his UCF career, and he's supposed to be that 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 linchpin on that, that offensive line that really helps, helps uh, uh, Dylan Gabriel. Yeah. We, we kind of talked about this last week, right? Scott, the continuity, this being a shortened off season, a shortened training camp, all the continuity because the tempo of our offense is so high paced that it, it, it really comes from the coach to the quarterback, to the center, then outside to the receivers as you talked about on the perimeter before you know the snap can even happen, the quarterback needs to make sure everybody is set and not moving. You have to make sure whoever's supposed to be on the line of scrimmage is on the line of scrimmage. Whoever's supposed to be off the line of scrimmage is off the line of scrimmage. And all those things go hand in hand, especially when you're playing a high-tempo offense. Everything needs to be together. And we've had lapses and, and, and mental errors because we're trying to go so fast that we haven't looked to the left and the right to make sure receivers are set, to, to make sure offensive linemen are snapped. Or we don't know the snap count. We're jumping off sides on dummy counts. That's all continuity, and also it's a mental aspect of it. And it's hard. When you get one or two in your head, you kind of go into the tank. You know, you would, you would, you would, you would hope that sometimes we could uh, hurt, not hurt ourselves by maybe you know, taking a player off the field for a two, two plays, three plays, just so we can get his mental aspect together. But that's the thing of football. When we had this shortened, shortened offseason, there's a lot of things that the offense couldn't really work on. And, and this high tempo offense, you know, this, this coaching staff has been here for three years. And as you stated, Matt Lee is new to this offensive line. You know, Jordan Johnson started forever, literally, on, on that offensive front. And this is the new continuity that he has to get with and, and get the mesh with the rest of the offensive line as far as when to, you know, when to get set, when to snap the ball, how to block out all the dummy counts so you don't move early. How to, you know, it's things as simple as snapping the ball back to the quarterback. I mean, because I know we had a few, few, uh, you know, shaky snaps in the, in the Tulsa game. But these are all these are all mental aspects. The kid's a tough kid. I know he'll bounce back from that. But like I said, it's not just him. It goes against the whole offensive line, the quarterback, the receivers. It has to be like a it's almost like a bow. It has to be tied together for everybody to be on one accord or we're going to keep getting these offensive, you know, offside penalties. And dues between the injuries we've seen sustained this year, and this isn't just for UCF. This is across college football. Yeah. This is this is 2020 COVID football. But then again, with the way this offense runs and how it's predicated on on hurrying up and and having some of those silent counts and and players having to know the play before they get up to the line of scrimmage and not having those sorts of reps you know, months into prior into leading into the season, that is a factor. And I'm not, I'm not looking to make excuses for the UCF yeah. offense, but repetition is a factor. Yeah, hundred percent. We talked about that last week, Scott, um, the, the short and off season, not getting those reps that you usually would normally get, not being able to get your guys after practice and run through stuff because of COVID. There's only a certain allotment time that you can be in big groups together, right? But usually in the off season in the summer, the O line and the quarterbacks could get together and run through some calls. And even, you know, pre pre practice they could do some of that stuff and post practice they could do some of that. But a lot of that, you know, has been, you know, knocked out because there's only a certain allotted time you can be on the field with your players together because they're trying to cut down on, you know, the cases of COVID. So yes, you know, it's, it's not an excuse, especially we're almost into a month into the season. Hopefully this, after this bye week we see less and less than that. I mean, there's going to be mental errors that happen, you know, going you know down the road of the season, just because when guys get tired, tired, there's always judgment lapse 
and a guy might have forgot the snap count in the huddle just that quick, and he jumps early. But we can't have, you know, the number of offside penalties that we have. And hopefully now that we're in a, mo- a month into the season, these guys will get that continuity that we had last year and get it back, and we won't see as many penalties post and, and post and pre-snap penalties that we saw in the first three games. Well, you mentioned the bye week, and yes, the three games through. So you get the first three games bye week, and then the way it's supposed to shake out is we'll play another three games have a bye week, and then finish out this season. And again, kudos to UCF, players, coaches, support staff. We get to play another game on Saturday in which at this point right now, we COVID has not affected things. And I know the dudes the does this to me every single game yeah. on the sideline. He believes that I have the power to jinx an entire I football. just knocked on wood, Scott. I literally <laughs> just knocked on wood. <laughs> Scott, don't do not jinx us. We already see what's happening in Florida this week. That is correct. I, I think it's crazy that Dan Mullins would even come out complaining about, you know, Texas A&M crowd and wanting to have Florida sold out. And then, lo and behold, because of his players, it looks like the LSU game is going to be in jeopardy this week because of an outbreak of COVID. Wow. So, I mean, like you complaining about not having the fans because you felt like it played a factor – is, is minimum compared to the risk it's, it's causing, you know, our nation right now with, with the COVID disease. A team that has been impacted by COVID, that is this week's opponent, the Memphis Tigers, who entered this game 1-1. One and one. They come off a loss two Saturdays ago to SMU. And before we take a look at the Tigers this season, Dudes, how about just this overall series between UCF hmm. and Memphis? And it has... It has provided some of the craziest, wildest finishes in recent memory in UCF football history. And the good news is the Knights have come out on top back in 2018, in 2017, which would lead eventually to championships in the American for the Knights. Yes, yeah, Scott, it's almost like whoever wins this game the last three years usually wins the conference, right? If you look if you look at it, we've done really well versus Memphis, right? I, I believe 13 in a row. You kind of almost liken it to, I hate to say this, us versus Tulsa, right? The opposite way, like Tulsa's beat us, what, what was it, six times in a row or something yeah, like that? Four, now you four never, in a row, but they had a overall, it was an eight and three sort of mark again. Yeah, okay, it was, yeah, it was bad. And I believe two of those wins came in 07 when I was there. So it's been a while since we, we got a victory versus Tulsa. And, and if you look at it, like I said before, whoever wins this game usually wins the conference. So this is a big game. We've had some crazy conference championship games versus them, some crazy during the season games versus them where usually, you know, it comes down to the last possession. I think this one's going to be just as competitive this Saturday. Quickly, dudes, what were you doing in 1990? I was four years old. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the last time. That the Memphis Tigers beat UCF. That was the first, the first game in the series all the way back in September of 1990. Since then, UCF has rattled off 13 in a row, and UCF six in one all time in the Liberty Bowl. Yeah, and, that, and that's something that you got to think. Coach Silverfield is definitely harping on. Like these seniors don't want to leave after winning the conference last year. They have a lot of good res- returning seniors coming back. They don't want to leave, you know, college football having lost to UCF every single year. And that's something I guarantee that was a bulletin board material all over their locker room, all throughout the building this week. It's like this team thinks they own you. They've, they've won 13 times in a row. What are we going to finally do about it to end this streak? 
Conference champs a year ago, the Memphis Tigers, they would play in a New York Six game against Penn State, that being the Cotton Bowl, their head coach. He departs, that being Mike Norvell, goes to Florida State. But a guy that was familiar with the program takes over the reins. That is Ryan Silverfield here for the Memphis Tigers. This is his first season at the helm. And for a, a, a large percentage of this coaching staff, dudes, this is brand new coaches here that will take hold of 2020. They're two games in. They're one and one. Lost SMU. Played Arkansas State several weeks ago. It was nearly a month between their Arkansas State game and their SMU game, and that was because of a rash of COVID there within the Memphis program. Yeah, and this is a Memphis team that clearly believes they should be 2-0, and and if you look at the film versus SMU, they really should be. You know, if you, you look at it, a minute 25 left on the clock, Brady White drops back, and they're almost in field goal range, and he holds the ball a little bit too long, and sack fumble, SMU gets the ball, drives it down, kicks the last second field goal. Well, if they just hold on to the ball there, they kick a field goal and win the game. Look at that Memphis maybe being ranked in the top 10 right now. So this is a team right now that's believing that they can finally end that streak this year. Also, they have aspirations of winning the conference, and I believe whoever wins this game still has the driver's seat to win the conference. But if you lose this game, um, your chances, I believe, are, are done for the year. So this is, you know, in recent years, this is probably the biggest game in, in UCF history. But I think Memphis is looking at it the same way, that this is the biggest game in Memphis history. One, because of the, the winning streak that we have against them. And two, because they want aspirations to be back-to-back conference champions. Dudes, this Memphis team a, a year ago, they were explosive offensively. Brady White through for, for over 400,000, 400,000, how about 4,000 yards? 400,000 would be <laughs> impressive in a season. Get him on your college football fantasy team. But Brady White now, this is year number three for him. He came over, if you recall, with Mike Norvell from Arizona State. He is the guy yep. that, he's one of their captains. He's the guy that really stirs the drink offensively. And, and they've got weapons, but at the same time, they've lost a lot of those key guys from a year ago. Yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, uh, Gainwell, their, their top running back, a guy decided to opt out. He's clearly going to be a first-round pick. But, I mean, they still have explosive players on this team. And that's one thing that's very comparable to UCS offense is this is Memphis's offense. If you look at Brady White, I believe me and you were talking about this early in the season. I still can't believe him. And, to, and then DeMonte um, uh, Coxie are still there. I feel like they've been there for like four or five years already. And I know that, um, you know, Brady White transferred over. So I'm like, how many years of eligibility is this guy? <laughs> this guy got, guy got left. You, you stated already uh, a very good quarterback, 4,000 yards uh, last year, 33 touchdowns, completing over 64% of his passes. And this year he's on a tear already. Just in two games, he's already thrown for over 570 yards. And he's upticked his percentage to 70%. So this guy is very accurate, very efficient. And he knows how to get the ball in his playmaker's hand. I talked about DeMonte Coxie. This guy, all he's done is two years in a row have 1,000 yards receiving and, and was second team all, all AAC two years in a row. And already this guy's over 270 yards receiving in two games. So this is his big play receiver. These guys have weapons all around. Uh, Sean Dykes is another guy tight end who has a receiver-like ability. These guys love to put the ball in the air. They like to air it out, and they're a very explosive offense. Before we take a look at the defense, and they lose their home run hitter from a year ago, Antonio Gibson, who was one of the big play receivers in all of college football. This line, though, dudes, does not have the same sort of experience that you see on that UCF offensive front. They've got just one guy 
who's got more than 16 starts in his career. The rest of that starting offensive line doesn't have any more than two. Is that something that the UCF defense at least thinks they might be able to to get after Brady White a little bit? We haven't seen that sort of pass rush. We have not been able to get to the quarterback in terms of sacks this year, but this is not the same offensive line from a year ago for 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 Memphis. Yeah, and that's something you think Randy Shannon and, and the defense defense as a whole think, thinks we can take advantage of, right? We have a veteran heavy set defensive line, as you stated. We haven't really pass rushed that well this week, and I think that's something else that we really took into account during the bye, right? Getting back to creating havoc in the backfield. Yes, our tackle for losses are still at a high level right now, but as far as us just disrupting the quarterback like we did last year, we really haven't done that at a high level like we did in, in, in years past. So I know that's something that we really harped on this week, getting back to the quarterback, being more efficient in our pass rush games, because we talked about this last year. That was something that really, really boded well for UCF last year. They sent so many different pass rush games, and it confused offensive linemen. At offensive linemen, and I feel like we did that at a high level last year, and I feel like we've actually taken a step back this year in that. So hopefully, you know, Coach Shane Burning and the defensive line have really gotten together this week and really, you know, just got back to the fundamentals of the game and really, you know, being disruptive in the backfield, especially when it comes to disrupting the passer. Because if we don't disrupt Brady White, uh, we thought last last week versus Tulsa was bad. This kid likes to really air it out. Well, now defensively here for Memphis, where. They were not as potent, as disruptive of a force as that offense was from a a season ago. Dudes, there was a time last year where they were getting absolutely shredded on the ground. They allowed over 200 yards rushing five times, and they gave up more yards per game than, than I believe every team in the American, and they were in that bottom uh, bottom 15 in all of college football there on the defensive side of the ball. They won in a ton of shootouts a year ago. Yeah, it was what was it like feast and famine for them, right? It was a shootout at the OK Corral every week. And uh, this year is no different either. If you look at the SMU game, both both offenses, SMU's offense and Memphis offense, put up a lot of yards and a lot of points. And that bodes well, right? Because we need our offensive our offensive run game to get going last week besides the Otis Anderson 49 yard run we really didn't run the ball very effective now Tulsa's defense is really good and we saw what they did to Oklahoma State you know weeks prior to that but this is a different challenge you know this week Memphis defense for right now hasn't shown that they can really stop the run and or stop really anybody so I'm looking for our offensive line to really dig in this week be able to, you know, put their stamp on this game. Let's see if we can get Otis going. If Greg McCray ends up suiting up, we don't know what his injury status is. Let's see if we can get him going too because I think we really have to be efficient in running the ball because we do not want to get a shootout with Memphis this year because this is a team, if they have the ball last, it could be bad for us. Dudes, think about this. Two weeks ago, SMU has that huge lead at the half, and one of the, the big reasons behind that is because – all everything receiver, the deep threat, Reggie Roberson, he goes down at the half. Dude, he had 243 yards of of receiving in the first half alone. They're without him in the second half, and I, I think that changed the dynamic, at least offensively, for SMU. So if your guys like 
like Jay Flash, who has been able to stretch the defense here through his first three football games, and hopefully Marlon Williams is at least closer to being 100%, because he wasn't against Tulsa, then that bodes well for, for this night offense. 100%. I mean, we have two of the best tandem receivers in the nation, and, and you stated Robinson was cooking that first half. I mean, I feel like that, that, that move on the sideline he put on Buddy with a quick jab inside and then tight rope to the sideline, I thought that boy was going to just keep running like Forrest Gump in the movie. He just felt like running. He was taking off down the sideline. And it was not just that play. It was multiple plays like that for Robinson in that first half. And that bodes well for a guy that's as quick and as fast as Jay Flash. And then Marlon, a guy that can do everything, um, was one of the top receivers receiving uh, coming into this week and still is one of the top receivers receiving coming into this week. If he's healthy enough to play, it should bode well for him. Both of these guys should have – enormous games this week is the word I was looking for. Enormous games this week. <laughs> well, then that should lead us very eloquently into now some keys to this matchup here this weekend. UCF and Memphis, these two teams predict to finish in the top three. The Knights, the preseason poll, number one, Memphis, number three. They won the conference a year ago. Their seniors have never beat uh, beaten UCF. So offensively, keys for the Knights coming into this this road matchup against the Tigers, which, by the way, dudes, they have won their last 10 at home inside the Liberty Bowl. Yeah, it's what we just talked about, right, Scott? We have to establish this run because when we establish our our run, our offense, our offense is almost impossible to stop, right? We had the big run for, with Otis for 49 yards last last or two weeks ago versus, versus Tulsa, but besides that, we really couldn't get the run going, couldn't establish the run. This is the week to get that going. Memphis is really bad against the run. I mean, honestly, we it's I don't want to say that we can almost do anything on offense, but just judging from their, their first two games, they've, they've had trouble stopping people on defense. Let's just say that. So this is the week that we can get our offense, get our identity going. I'm looking for the offensive line to really, like I said, put a stamp on this game. I want to see some some offensive line get nasty this week. You know what I'm saying? Some bird dogging some guys. I, I want to see blocks 10, 15 yards down the field. Let's see if we can get some explosive runs. Because when we, when we get our run game going, it really helps with our play action, and then we can get one-on-one with our corners and receiver, and that bodes well for the experience that we have at receiver. Yeah, and Deuce, I, I think that's a good point with, with the offensive line because I think they're hungry after what happened to Tulsa. They've got that that chip inside of them for the past two weeks to go out yeah. and, and show not just the rest of their teammates, but everybody else that that was an aberration of the way we played the false starts. That's an aberration. We're a better football team. We're a better unit, a better offensive line than that. And, and it's, we can say this cause it sounds, it sounds like that should be the motive in their yeah. head, but that, that, that psychological uh, aspect of things dues, and you can attest to it that, that's the type of stuff that drives you through a week of practice. Yeah, definitely, Scott. Anytime you get punched in the mouth, you know, you usually have, you know, what, five or six days before you play again. Well, these guys have had to fester in that for two weeks. So they should be foaming at the mouth, ready to get active on Saturday because that that offensive line, that play that we saw wasn't, you know, to the standards of UCS offensive line in the past and what we did the first couple weeks. So I know these guys are hungry. Like, like I said, this is a game to get right. Memphis defense hasn't really stopped anybody this this week. So like I said, I want to see some nastiness from our offensive line this week. Let's see if we can get over 250 yards rushing. That's the type of game I'm looking for this week. All right, defensively, Randy Shannon's unit currently is third in the nation with, with turnovers forced with 12. They have come 
every single game. Obviously, you think if you're 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 a Knight fan, that it might be somewhat uh, of a given. Especially last week, uh, uh, Memphis they they did turn the ball over several times. Brady White he lost a fumble, got picked off twice. So that I take it should be at least one of the keys defensively for UCF. Yeah, 100% is, is creating havoc and getting those turnovers, and that's something that's really – UCF's defense has done really well this year, right? But, I mean, one of my main keys for this week is, is we can't allow the explosive plays. If you if you look at the Tulsa game two weeks ago, right before half, we, we allowed three explosive plays right back to back to back for Tulsa to score right before half and get them back in the game, and it gave them momentum going into the second half, right? So this week is not going to be any difference. They have – receivers they have tight ends that can make plays like i've already stated a few of them sean dykes the tight end they really love him in the red zone he already has three touchdowns this year and Devontae coxy this is a guy that we probably need to bracket no man coverage bracket this guy because brady white is going to try to force feed him the ball if you look last week versus um um smu not last week but two weeks ago versus smu i believe this kid went over 170 yards receiving so this is a guy that they love to get the ball back to back a thousand yard receivers if you look at, it, at some of the receivers that have come through memphis he's he's falling right in line with some of them so this is a guy that brady white is going to force feed the ball i think we should bracket this guy and take him out the game from the beginning yeah coaxy nearly 2900 career yards in his career for the Memphis Tigers should be a fun one. Again, UCF looking for their 14th consecutive win in a row over Memphis. It, it sounds just strange to say it because of how close the football games have been back in 2018, back in 2017. So 3.30 kick up there in the Liberty Bowl. Again, another nationally televised game here, Deuce. Yeah, and that should definitely get the players going. Um, I believe Memphis will be allowed to have even more fans than they have for the Arkansas State game. So should be a pretty good atmosphere. So there should be a lot of energy, a lot of buzz in the stadium. And also playing on ABC, the whole nation is watching. So let's go, let's go get this dub this week, guys. As we always do, we finish out two nights, one podcast with what we call Dues Speak, which is something that a coach has said that has resonated with Dues over the years. So, all right, Leger, what do we have for this week that a coach once said to you? Well, this great message came from a D-line coach of mine called Dunbar. Um, I, I played with him when, uh, my first year in Minnesota and then had him also for two more years when I was with the New York Jets. And, it, and it's simple. He said, Scott, you're either the, the nail or the hammer. Which one are we going to be this week? So I'm going to just leave it at that. And that's a shout out to the offensive line. Either you're going to be the, the nail or the hammer. Which one are you going to be this week? Yeah, I think that's that's pretty poignant with what transpired two weeks ago. Hopefully UCF, you know, has been able to to rest up. Maybe Parker Boudreaux comes back. We'll see. He gets in the fold, one of UCF's more experienced offensive linemen. That's the thing. Should UCF should be able to be rested up after getting really beat up there in the Tulsa game, but was even nursing injuries prior to that in the East Carolina game, uh, along with that first game against Georgia Tech. As always, hey, we appreciate you listening. Subscribe, like, there it is. Two, uh, two nights, one podcast, and UCF and Memphis coming up on Saturday, 3.30. Our podcast drops every Thursday morning. For Leger Doosable, I'm Scott Adams. Go Knights! And charge on. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, 
so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.